Welcome, everybody, to a special edition of the It's Not Orange podcast. And this week, we're joined by a true Blackpool legend with 370 appearances and 32 goals to his name in 10 years in Tangerine, as well as two, two promotions, including that amazing day at Cardiff in 2010. It is, of course, Keith Southern. How are you doing, Keith? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. No, it's an absolute pleasure, and thank you for coming on. To- no problem. Mark, how you doing, buddy? I'm I'm really good. I'm very very excited. Welcome, Keith. Nice to see you. Nice to nice to talk to you. Great, yeah. Looking forward to it, lads. Yeah. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah. And uh, welcome, Matt. Who, who we made a joke just pre-pod that he turns up for big occasions. So we've had him for the first episode of uh, the It's Not Orange podcast. We had him with Randy Bays, and now we've got him for a Blackpool legend, which is Keith Southern. Welcome, Matt. How you doing, mate? Yeah, not too bad. I'm just a big big game player, Tom. I can't help it. I'm here for the big occasions. <laughs> oh, let's get uh, straight into it. One of the uh, biggest biggest questions we've had um, sent into us, Keith, is what is modern day Keith Southern up to? Yeah, still in football. Delighted to see. Yeah, I, I work at Everton Football Club, back where it all began for me. Really, um, you know, I was I was in the youth team and the reserves, and then obviously left and joined Blackpool. And then um, post playing career, I've gone back into coaching, um, back to Everton, fortunately, and I've I've worked at different levels, and I I assist the under twenty one uh, group at Everton, so it's a it's a really good role I've got, very pre- prestigious role, um, and one that I'm 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 enjoying greatly. So um, yeah, loving life at the moment, involved at a really really good level at, at football at, at, at a top club. So yeah, things are going well at the moment. What what's it like um watching and coaching sort of the next level of, of Premier League footballers or potentially, you know, championship or or League One players and, and seeing how their careers are sort of potentially gonna kick on? Yeah, it's 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 really rewarding. I think that's the word. Um I was fortunate to have a, a really good career, uh, where many people helped me over the years and uh, I'm still in love with the game. I think my passion never dies, or it didn't didn't do for me certainly anyway. So I wanted to give back. I wanted to um, help. I wanted to uh, teach. I wanted to uh, coach. You know, young young footballers. I wanted to pass my knowledge on because um, I thought I had something to offer to the game, uh, which was so good to me over the years. Um, yeah, and I've been fortunate to work with some really really top players that. In recent times, have gone on for, for for really big money, um, and it's a it's a, a real privilege to see them, you know, developing and uh, really really good players, um, and I think Everton do that really well. To be honest, I think uh, we've we've got a, a really good knack, uh, all the staff currently and 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 the staff that have gone before us. Certainly, when I was a young boy, there, of developing good people, and um, I think good players as well. So. Yeah, um, in, a, in a really good position. Uh, one that I'm, I'm grateful to the club for giving me. I've been in a, just over a year. Um, and I, I, like I say, I've worked various roles, but um, this is a, a, a really, really good position because I get to um, help boys making that next stage of development from kind of youth academy football into the real game, into the man's game. So, yeah, in, in, in a really good place at the moment. Yeah, it says a lot, says a lot about yourself as well whenever and want you to do that role as well so I think you can take a lot from like you say your playing career and, and, and the trust they have in you as well so excellent to see um, yeah I think it's um, Everton seems to be that type of club lads you know in terms of um, they always seem to help their own if you like and give opportunities to people that have had connections through over the years so 
maybe I'm just fortunate, but yeah, I'd like to think I'm playing a, a small part in some of these boys' development in, in, into the man's game in the future, you know. So, Keith, I've got to take you back to 2002, probably at an age where you at the age where you're coaching your current players at Everton, where you first joined the club initially on loan in 2002 when Steve McMahon brought you to your club. Can you tell us about the early days at the club joining on loan and signing permanently? When you signed permanently, did you feel like it's the right move at the right time? Um, yeah, I remember it really, really well. Um, it was August 2002. Just leading up to that point of, of, of that period of the year, um, I'd had an ACL injury in my right knee um, probably eight or nine months before that. Um, and I just got fit. Um, and David Moyes had not long came into the club. And I actually went on a pre-season tour with Everton on David Moyes' first trip to Austria. And I did a really good pre-season. Um, but because of the injury and because um, varying other circumstances, I hadn't experienced men's football. I hadn't been out on loan anyway. And I was 21, I think. Um, and I needed to get out. I needed to, uh, to prove myself, really. And um, he came up to me after training one day and said, uh, Steve McMahon and Blackpool have came in for you on loan. Would you like to go? Um, and he didn't really need to sell the club, to be honest. I was hungry to experience playing in front of fans, playing in front of crowds, playing for three points. I needed to go leave Everton, albeit at that time I thought it was just going to be on loan, and, and, and go on and try to um, you know, provide a a pathway for myself. I needed to go and um, showcase that I was capable of, of making a living in the game. So yeah, that particular day, he said um, he said the same thing to Peter Clark, who, who you'll know well as well. Um, and the two of us went up, and we um, we both played in a pre-season friendly on the Tuesday night against Blackburn Rovers at Bloomfield Road, and uh, that was four or five days before the first game of the season, I think, in two thousand and two. And yeah, that's how it basically started. Well, was it true that we we Everton sort of blocked a permanent, sorry, another loan move for for the season? They 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 wanted you to basically be be brought by the club and sort of be be permanently gone, if that makes sense. Not in a in a cruel way, but they preferred potentially to move you on rather than have another loan for yourself. Um, I'm not sure. In all honesty, um, I had a year left on my contract. Um, my initial contract that I signed on loan at Blackpool was three months. Um, and then obviously they would have monitored me, watched me play, etc. And if I'm being honest with myself and truth and truthful with myself, I wasn't good enough to probably break through at that time in Everton's first team, which is no shame in that. Um, and David Moyes, I had a conversation with him over the phone, he was brilliant with me. Um, he knew about all the games I played. He'd obviously done some research and homework over the three months that I, that, that I was away. Um, and he felt it was a great opportunity for me at a really good club to go play at a decent level in League One and, and start to uh, forge a career for myself. And I, I think that was the wise move all around. I didn't uh, think twice about it. So, yeah, I happily signed a, a two-and-a-half-year deal, I think. Um, and and I, was, I was delighted to come and join on a permanent basis. So... Keith, I remember this well, but after the move, um, obviously everything's going great and, and and you've signed for Blackpool. And then, unfortunately, it's never nice to talk about this, but then comes this awful injury. I think it was against Stockport um, and, and and you were out for quite a while. But what 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 were your initial thoughts about that and, and, and how did you feel as a young player, you know, just getting into men's football, like you said, and all of a sudden then you've got this awful injury and you're sidelined for ages? 
Yeah, I think I had a really good season. Um, the season overall, my first year, you know, playing in the football league was challenging, um, but I think it was, it was really successful. My first goal I scored was against Tranmere Rovers at Bloomfield Road, uh, left foot from outside the box, one that I still look back on with fondness now. Um, three three remember, no win, wasn't it? Yeah, and I remember getting um, the Gazette Player of the Year for the season, but you're right, I went to um, Edgeley Park, I think it was the March or April, it was towards the back end, and like I say, I touched on earlier, I had a cruciate ligament injury at Everton, which, to be honest, I came back too early from. Um, you know, I was really dedicated. I was really hungry to get fit. I lived in the gym uh, and I came back probably too early, which was to which was my own downfall, really, because, you know, from that point... Um, I had some I had some meniscus in uh, issues with the with my right knee, and that day at Edgeley Park, I actually I twisted my knee, and um, I missed the back end of the season. I think, and I was still um, I was still getting fit throughout the pre season. I might have missed the beginning of the next season if I'm right. Um, but yeah, I think it's it wasn't too much of a shock. I think when you've had an ACL injury, uh, there's no bigger injury that you can really get. Um, so to get a little setback, you know, after a really good season, didn't really bother me too much. I was just determined to get back again and, and, and restart the, the following season in the same vein of form that I finished my first season, really. Um, part and parcel of being a footballer, you know, I think um, you get challenges every day, you know, um, there's bumps in the road and you have to overcome them. I think it's real character building and I like to say, I think I, I, I've got good character and you know, a, a little setback like that wasn't gonna gonna really prevent me going on and, and having a career really. But yeah, it, it's it's disappointing at the time, but something you just have to overcome. So there's a lot. I don't want to talk about your injuries um, during this interview, if I'm honest with you. But just looking back throughout your career, the resilience and the mental strength you've shown throughout throughout your career. Now you said there's bumps in the road, but to, to a lot of footballers, it gets them down. You know, to a lot of players, they would be affected by it, and a lot of players won't come back anywhere near as stronger. And you've suffered some of the worst injuries in football, and you've still managed to play 500, 450 plus games, and obviously a, a magnificent 370 games for Blackpool. And what, what, at any point did you did you think you wouldn't potentially come back as stronger? Considering where you started off to, to where you ended, um, you had an absolutely unbelievable career. But you've also had some injuries that potentially could have stopped you you from playing at any decent level of football. Yeah, um, I think it was round about two thousand and four. Um, I think um, knee injuries kind of run in my family. To be honest, lads. Um, Without boring you, me, me, me gran had dodgy knees. Me dad had dodgy <laughs> knees, and I think I was born with dodgy knees. Um, so um, you know, when I was a kid and I was playing in football with my dad regular, he was always complaining about his knees. To be honest, and um, it was only when I got older I used to say to him, "I think I've inherited these knees from you, actually." Um, <laughs> but around about two thousand and four, I used to get without going into too medical science ish type injuries I used to get a lump a ball of cyst at the back of my knee and it was called a Baker's cyst uh, basically the fluid just ran at the back of the knee but it had nowhere to go and it just filled up and it become like a golf ball size in the back of my knee so any trauma to my knee this little this little uh, bubble of fluid would appear 
Um, and it still happens now. If I go for runs or whatever, or I end up joining in with the lads at work, I'll get this little ball of fluid. At this particular time, the ball of fluid was huge. And um, I remember going into Squire's Gate, the lovely Squire's Gate one day, waking up. And this, I couldn't straighten my leg. I couldn't straighten my knee. And this was probably after a few weeks of being out injured. And uh, anyway, I went home. I, I stood up and worked. Didn't train, obviously. Came home. And uh, I, I said to my wife, I said, have you seen my leg? And she went, oh, my God. This was like half nine at night one evening. She said, your calf is twice the size of the other calf. Um, I have to take it to A&E. So we ended up at A&E in, 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 at Liverpool Hospital. Ended up staying in overnight. I thought I had like a deep vein thrombosis. But all it was, it was this ball of fluid. It, it burst and it ran into my calf. And um, wow. I was out quite quite a long time with that. And it was really getting me down, to be honest. Um, and, you, you know, you, you try and stay strong. You try and stay upbeat. But I, I was saying to my wife, oh, she was my wife at the time. It was my partner. Uh, we're now married, obviously. Um, but I was saying, I'm done. I've had enough. Uh, I need to uh, move on from this. It was just, you know... It was getting me down. I was, I was, I was returning to football. I was playing eight, ten games. I was getting injured. Same problems were reoccurring, reoccurring. Um, but fortunately, she she kept me at it, giving me loads of confidence. Um, you know, women do that at times, don't they? I think so. They're a bit stronger than men, I think. Um, so anyway, I got through it, um, and thankfully, I went on had some incredible experiences and memories off the back of it. But. You never quite know at the time, you know, that I think there's lads I work with now, there's lads I've worked with in the past, they aren't fortunate enough to, to go through these periods, the setbacks, you know, become too strong for them. And and on another occasion, if I never had good people around me, who knows, I might have, I might have called it a day, but fortunately I never, um, and obviously stayed in the game. But, yeah, it is tough, and you need good people around you, I think, family, um, partners wives, whatever it may be, uh, to help you when, when, you, when you're pretty low. So that was a low time for me. But like I say, Fortune came out the other side of it. Yeah, absolutely. And some of those experiences, you, as you say, you can move on to, to the youngsters now and the youth coming through to say, you know, one injury doesn't, doesn't mean anything and you can always come back stronger because you've got time on, your, time on your side, I suppose. Uh, I want to talk to you about um, a character... That brought you into to Blackpool and, and one obviously you spent some time with. Um goes by the name of Steve McMahon. He had a bit of a was it up and down sort of relationship with him. Um talk to me about how you feel in hindsight, obviously looking back at your time with him, because obviously he's a very big character back in back in, you know, when he was playing football as well. And what was it like meeting him and what was your you know, how did the relationship sort of go during your time with Blackpool? Yeah, I mean, at the beginning, uh, obviously, when he he took me, he took me to Blackpool, uh, Liverpool legend, England, England player. Um, you know, I remember him in the nineteen ninety World Cup. Um, you know, he was a top player, wasn't he? And you know, I, I was I was really excited when when he picked up the phone and and took me on loan. And the beginning of that period, I had a really good relationship with him. Um, the first season, like I say, I touched on earlier, was great in terms of my performance levels before I got injured. Um, for whatever reason, it, I, don't, I don't really think it just deteriorated. I just think um, certain things happen and 
you just kind of, you just, I don't, I don't know the words to really explain. You just, he had his son involved, didn't he? And at the time, and I don't really think too much about it now, to be honest, but um, he had his son involved um, and he wanted to give him game time, rightly or wrongly. Um, that's fine. He made, the, he, made, he made them choices. And um, like I say, he left me out to, <clears throat> left me out of certain games, which at the time you're disappointed, you're heartbroken. But now I don't even look back and regret it. I don't look back, or you know, it's not something that really keeps me awake at night. Do you know what I mean? Um, he made some choices from his point of view. He's he's the manager. Yeah, you respect his decision, um, and he might have thought I never really got to the bottom of it that I got back. To, he might have thought I didn't get to the heights after certain injuries that I was at before, my level of performance might have dropped in his eyes and there might have been the legitimate reasons why why he left me out of certain games, which he's entitled to. He was the manager after all and now being on the other side of the fence, being in a coaching position, um, you have that sympathy for people now as opposed to when, when you were a player, you didn't quite respect uh, managers' choices, managers' decisions, but now... It's diff- It's difficult, you know. You're trying to keep players happy. Um, you're trying to manage a group. Um, all I'm interested in as a player or whoever it may be, they're only interested in themselves as players. But as as a coach or a manager, you're trying to manage the whole group. So, yeah, I mean, I've got no um, I've got no regrets. I've got no um, I've got no bad feeling or ill feeling towards Steve McMahon. In fact, probably the opposite. He he brought me to the club. He gave me an opportunity in football. Um, so from that, I'm I'm pretty happy about really. Um, so yeah, it 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 was just one of those relationships that kind of just drifted apart. Um, <clears throat> I think it was quite like that with a lot of people. Um, it happens in football an awful lot. Even now, you see manager player just things don't go certain ways. But there was no real falling out. I can honestly say that lads, there was no real defined argument on the training ground or bust up. Yeah. There was nothing like that. It was just maybe he didn't think that I was playing as well as, as as I could do and he left me out of certain games. So it was up to me to take that that energy I had when he left to go and try and prove him wrong. Um, and I'd like to think I did that over time under, under, under numerous other managers. So, yeah, no ill feeling whatsoever. Yeah, he certainly did. Yeah, obviously alluding to to the cup final for me at the time. Obviously, I was I was fairly young anyway. But looking back, like at your career, it's one of those decisions, as you say, his he made, and like you say, for whatever reason. But there could have been another defining point in in a young player's <coughs> career where you're left out of a fairly big game. I appreciate you've, you've gone on to play much bigger games, but at the time, it was a it was mm. a, you know a cup final, and every credit to you, like you say, for continuing on. But you signed a contract extension in 2005, and I want to talk about really, obviously, the glory glory time we had, and, and a certain game and a certain era, um, and and one game, uh, uh, one of the panelists, um, Kurt. Um, was at Cheltenham and he asked the question, do you remember a handful of fans screaming past just before you hit, obviously, the winner against Cheltenham and, and, and set us on our way to victory? <laughs> yeah, did you I hear the actually. fans, should I say? you know, They were probably just going, pass! <laughs> yeah, I do, actually, yeah. Um, I remember the game well, actually, because um, 
I used to get terrible blisters whenever I played, especially at the beginning and the end of seasons uh, with the hard grounds, obviously. Um, and about a week before the Cheltenham game, I couldn't train. I, I used to suffer really, really bad with blisters, um, infections in them, really. <coughs> and I, uh, the club used to send me to a, a podiatrist up in Lytham <coughs> who would like, um, pad, pad them up. Um, and I remember putting my boots on before the game, and I'm thinking, oh, I was in so much pain. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm thinking, I'm not going to last the game here. Uh, it was red hot. Um, yeah, and I hit it with my left foot. It went in. I think it took a deflection. Um, fans went wild. It won 2-1. And I think that kind of begun that, that journey of the running, didn't it? Um, I know we ended up winning 11 games, didn't we, with the Leicester game? Obviously, we will come to, I would imagine, but through that end-of-season period and into the playoffs, it just set us on the way uh, where we had real momentum. So, yeah, I mean, it's always nice to score. Didn't get that many, but it's always nice to score an away game because um, especially long-distance away games when the, the the fans were always fanatical, our away fans. You, you lads, you know, give us great support and came came in your droves. But then when you get that feeling when you get back on the bus and you've taken three points back with you, uh, the camaraderie on the bus, the spirit um, w- w- was different class back then. So, yeah, I remember it well. And obviously great times at the end of that season and in general where we ended up getting promoted off the back of it. So, yeah, great times. I just want to touch a bit more on that time, Keith. Obviously, the perfect 10 or 11 if you're classing the Leicester game as well. What was it like being around the squad at that time? Obviously, <coughs> win one, win two, win three. Did you feel like... There was more pressure with every win, or do you feel like it was more a natural? Oh, we're getting better, we're improving, and for the promotion is ours to win. Yeah, I mean that season was um, was a strange season, really. Obviously, we had the highs and the brilliance of the running and the euphoria of getting promoted. But at the beginning of that season, if you remember, we had we had some tough times. We were struggling really, and uh, we didn't get off to a great start. Um, Simon Grayson was probably under pressure. Um, I remember going to Carlisle away on a Tuesday night, uh, probably around October-ish, late September, maybe October. Um, and we lost 2-0, but we played really, really well. And um, there was disappointment, obviously, getting back on the bus. But there was hope that the performance was good enough and we were building some foundations, that we had some good players stick with it, keep doing the right things, keep doing the process, that we would get better and improve. And fortunately, that's the way the season panned out. But um, I've only had two periods in my whole career where that feeling of being unstoppable with real momentum, um, and that was that was one of them at the end of that season with the, the perfect 10. And then obviously when we went up in 2010, uh, the 9-10 season, obviously under Holloway, when we didn't have that run of results, but we had that momentum. I think that's the key, um, where you go in every game thinking you're going to win. We're going to win today. Uh, no matter what's um, in the other dressing room, whatever the challenges are, wherever we're playing, we had that real belief over them two periods that we're going to win today. We're going to win today. And um, it, it's a nice feeling in football. And like I say, it doesn't come around very often. Yeah, I think we only lost six from that Carlisle game. We only lost six. Did we Since really, that yeah. game, yeah, 
And I think we had a couple of losses on the bounce in, in, within that season as well. So if we weren't drawing games, we were picking up the odd win, two, three wins in a row. But then obviously it led to led to such a incredible run, really, as we've already alluded to. And one thing I was going to say, what who who was your favourite player within that sort of 2000 and the, the perfect 10 squad? Who, was, who would you say was most talented? But who was your sort of favourite player as well? Oh, I mean, I still... You know, everybody talks about the obviously 2010 team, but that 2017 really goes like under the radar a little bit in Blackpool's history for me. Um, remember the team, you know, like like the back of my hand, really. Um, you know, Sean Barger was terrific. Ian Everett was excellent. Michael Jackson was determined and dogged at the back. And then midfield, I played midfield with Klaus Jorgensen, David Fox, um, and then you had the front players, didn't we? Of Andy Morrell, Keegan. Um, but I think undeniably the best player in the league that season, certainly in our team anyway, was was, was Wes, wasn't he? Wes Houlihan, and probably one of the best players I've ever played with. Um, just a, a brilliant, you know, mercurial talent, wasn't he? Um, could take fans off the edge of their seat, you know, with his, his dribbling ability. Um and without him, I don't think we would have got promoted that season. He actually struggled to get in the team early on, didn't he? Um, yeah. And, and and probably you lads, he was on the didn't realise this, but he was on the verge of kind of um, leaving Blackpool. You know, in the early days when he couldn't wow. get in the team, he wanted to go back. I think he was at Livingston. Um, yeah. He started at Shelbourne, didn't he? And went to Livingston, and he wanted to kind of break up his, his loan agreement um, because he felt he was underused, undervalued and, and wasn't playing. Um, fortunately for, for us and Blackpool, um, it never it never came apparent that to anybody and uh, he went on and did what he did. And, but he was just such a magical footballer, um, a joy to play with really. Um, and he, um, he, he was the driving force, I think, behind that promotion run in truth. Yeah, he, um, we were just talking come, before coming on here, his goal against Oldham at Boundary Park in the playoffs where he's gone around the keeper and the keeper's absolutely smashed near early about six foot up in the air. Yeah. <laughs> he's just placed into the empty net to set up the, obviously the second leg where he scored another goal. Was it just outside the box as well, wasn't it? So capped yeah. off a uh, capped off a brilliant sort of run. But and Martin just put in the chat as well, one of the most memorable games as well was um, was the Swansea 6-3 with Morel's... Uh, Incredible volley, just like with the keeper as well. He was a special player for us, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, Andy, yeah, was underrated. I think I'm right, he only had two seasons, didn't he? He had a little bit of a contract dispute the season. we. I think he might have had one season in the championship uh, with us, and then he got into a little bit of a contract dispute with the club. Andy was terrific. Um, he was he was a man, really, and we had a lot of men in that team. Um you know, seasoned pros, tough men, um, competitors. Michael Jackson springs to mind also. But Andy used to make that run, you know, whenever the ball was wide and crosses were coming in, he used to get across that near post and he used to score so many with his head. You know, he had really good time and he was a good finisher um, and, and a, work, a real workhorse, you know what I mean? He led the line, great pressing from the front. He was just a great pro. Um, and like I say, Klaus Jorgensen, another experienced player. 
Um, so we had a really good spine of players right through this team. Um, and then you had some some class with Wes, obviously Keegan. Had his yeah. had his moments, didn't he? Obviously scored in the final. So we had little um we had flashes of brilliance um here, there and everywhere. But the, the spine of the team was really strong, really competitive. Um and that Swansea game, I think we had Joe Hart. Do you remember that? Joe Hart played mm. the goal, didn't he? And yep. he scored four. Um I think I missed his lob over the goalkeeper. I clashed heads with Andy Robin Andy Robinson. Um was off the pitch getting stitched up. I'd had five or six stitches above my eye, so I missed that goal. Um, but yeah, I think we see, see my memory. You, you lads, will be able to tell me better. I think we finished the season with eighty-three points that season. Um, yeah, and we finished third, didn't we? Uh, just missed out on the last day. Yeah, um, that, well, we I think we needed Bristol City to lose and us to win. We won, but Bristol yeah. City were like three 0 up, so it was always going to be playoffs. But it sort of felt inevitable what we were going to do that season. So yeah. Um, yeah, and I think you get to that point where you're winning games and you, you you can't play enough. You know, you just want the next one to keep coming, keep coming. Um, and yeah, I think we did a decent job in the playoffs to go through pretty comfortably. I, d- I didn't ever think we would probably lose uh, that playoff final, but I was worried because I don't know how the players felt, but they just come off. Uh, you just come off the back of going to the Forest Ground, wasn't it? After they were like two, three yeah. 0 down, and they end up. I think Marcus Stewart played from at the time scored like a hat trick. And obviously yeah. got them through, and I just thought they are going to be flying. Um, not that we weren't, but I thought it was going to be set up for, you know, a much more difficult game than it was. And I appreciate they they tested the keeper a couple of times, but you know, ultimately it was like you say a fairly comfortable win. So, yeah, moving on to the promotion and, and that Leicester game, Mark. Yeah. Um, so obviously after after the joy of Wembley. And if there's a reality that we're in the championship, which is something that Blackpool fans haven't seen for 30 years. I think it was, I mean, I was born in 75. I'd never seen us play at that level of football till till we got there. And then the first game was away at Leicester, which I remember it was a really hot, sunny day that the place was packed. They spent a load of money. Uh, Wes Houlihan had to wait to get his uh, contact lenses from Specsavers or wherever it was. I'm not sure if he was playing. And then you didn't he sign like with winner. like two, didn't he sign with like two hours to, to go wasn't it, it was yeah. before kickoff in, in the day remember the news we were yeah. like <laughs> so yeah. yeah was that was that yeah. boost for the squad Keith yeah yeah he'd, uh, again I'm testing my memory here I don't think he played in any of the pre-season games um, I don't know what the reason was was it clearance or something I don't know what it was I can't remember but Oyston was it Oyston <laughs> Yeah, there was probably. probably something to do with money. Uh, <laughs> money and Carl Iceton, but yeah, uh, they're, they're different stories. Um, yeah, and he didn't play in any of the preseason games. And I think leading right up until the game or the day of the game, we got last minute clearance from the player. Yeah, it was red hot. Um, he just gave us a, a real boost. He was outstanding um, on the day. We signed Gary Taylor Fletcher as well that summer. Um, he came into the team. He was excellent on the day. On the day, um, and I remember the ball just falling to me. There was a, there was a, there was an issue in the penalty area. I think two players went down, collided with each other. Um, I'm not sure who 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 it was, but it just felt to me bounced up, and I just swung my left foot, hit the bar, and in. Um, and obviously the feeling, the feeling of that. Is just incredible. Um, I'd actually scored previously at that stadium in the 2-2 FA Cup 
game about three years prior to that. So I had really good, uh, really good history there, really good feeling of playing at that stadium. So, yeah, to 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 score the winner on the opening day um, of the championship season when you haven't been at that level for 30-odd years was pretty special. And that rounded off kind of 11 games on the spin, competitive games that we'd won. Um, and that was all the chat in the press after. I think it was the first time the club had done that in, in X amount of years. So it was some sort of record, I thought, um, which was amazing. So it was just a really, really good time to play for Blackpool, you know? Yeah, I'd say we had we had some special talent to, to that team, as you say, and we just made that squad stronger despite sort of the the couple of um, stagnant finishes. Obviously, you call it stagnant, but the championship obviously finished like 13th and 16th, wasn't it? So we had two fairly solid seasons. Yeah. But moving on to 2009 is, is the year you signed another contract extension with the club. And... Obviously, that man, obviously Ian Holloway, um, and and that and that playoff team. You suffered a bit of a, a setback just before signing that contract extension, didn't you? Another injury, I think it was. Um, and then you signed, obviously, the contract extension, obviously, to achieve 200 games for the club. Um, was again very special. But just talk to us about. We all know, obviously, Ollie for for his rants and raves and, and his funny, you know, his, his character, but in your own words, sort of what kind of influence, what kind of impact did he have on you? I, he was amazing, Ollie. Um, the best manager, undoubtedly, that I'd ever had. Um, he was just a brilliant human being, um, first and foremost. Um, he actually cared about, about us, me, the players, um, on a human level. He cared about our families. Um, I think he'd been through certain things in his life, um, <clears throat> which like kind of promoted that human touch within him. Um, he'd been out of work for, for a year, I think, um, after a poor experience at Leicester. So he came to us, you know, with lots to prove, with loads of enthusiasm. <clears throat> Sorry, um, and he just uh, he just wanted, or you felt. He gave the impression, certainly, that he just wanted what was best for us. Um, and, and I remember on the first day, and he'll know all the stories when when he came in, and he had the flip chart out, and he, you know, Brett speaks about it quite a bit, doesn't he? Around um, the certain way, the certain style of football, this brand, if you like, um, and the chickens. I've done it with the chickens, so they can do it. You can do it, and you know, I think I think everybody knows that, but. It was just the start of something special. I remember coming home from that first day of meeting him and saying to my wife, wow, I met a new manager today and I've never seen anything anything like it. He just he blew my mind, you know, the way he spoke about football, the enthusiasm he had for it. And and these plans for, for, for me, these plans for the club, the plans for the team, it was just incredible and just like uh, kind of gripped you by the back of the neck and just kind of dragged you with him. It was it was that type of um, forceful positivity that he had, um, and and only so many people, certainly in my lifetime, I've come across can actually do that. I think it's a really really special gift. Um, so yeah, that's how the journey began. Um, it, nobody knew at that time where it would actually take us. The journey was it just you know hot air he was he was talking about? Was it just the usual? overzealous positivity that generally 99% of managers come out with 
Um, was he going to be a bluff merchant? Um, they were all questions that everybody needed answering, but the first impressions had anything to go by. Um, it, it was kind of mind-blowing, his impression he left on me, certainly, anyway. Yeah, he joined and said, I've been studying football for a year and I think I know what it takes to get us promoted and everyone just absolutely wet themselves because we were famous for favourites, sorry, for relegation that season, weren't we? So, obviously, all Blackpool fans took it with a pinch of salt, but it led to, obviously, the most incredible season. And I was just going to ask um, before Matt comes in about the playoff final, just for a lot of Blackpool fans, obviously, getting promoted was, was something that they... I didn't ever think I'd see when I was... I'm from Ipswich and Colchester area, so about 300 miles away from Blackpool. I used to come with my tangerine shirt and often get in fisticuffs with Man United and Ipswich fans, obviously, and playing in Europe and stuff at the time. And, you know, it was one of those ones which I think I'm never going to see them get in the playoffs. But, you know, supporting Blackpool, as you say, with the away fans as a kid just was just amazing. But that the, I just want to talk a bit about the Forest game. So, one, just how difficult were Forest to play against because they only lost two at home that season and they were both to us... I think it was 1-0 in the league game with Charlie scoring, wasn't it? And obviously yeah. the night at their ground. But your overriding um, emotion and memories um, at that night of the Forest ground, because some Blackpool fans said it's probably the loudest stadium they've ever experienced on that night. Yeah, I mean, I remember the games really, really well. Um, the Forest's home record that, that season was, like you say, was, was outstanding. I think... Um, everybody outside of our dressing room or outside of our fan base probably thought the second leg being at the city ground it was probably a formality for them that even though we beat them 2-1 in the home game at Bloomfield Road that they'd have enough firepower they'd have enough quality to kind of uh, overturn that um, but like I mentioned earlier where there was a real real belief in our in, in our group um, and I can honestly say when I left Bloomfield Road on that Saturday afternoon after winning 2-1, there was no doubt in my mind we were going to Wembley. Uh, there was, it's a strange feeling as a footballer to have. That there was absolutely no doubt that we were going to come out on top and we were going to get the job done over the, over the two legs. Um, it was the best atmosphere I've ever played in, uh, ever. And I've had some great days and nights at Bloomfield Road the Blackpool fans combined with the Forest fans that evening was the greatest atmosphere I've ever I've ever had, like ever experienced in in 17, 18 years of being a professional footballer. It was uh, it was awesome. Um and I remember we warmed up and I remember um Billy Davis came under the pitch and he was just whipping the uh, the Forest fans into a frenzy, you know, just as they were coming in from the warm up. Um, the atmosphere was just incredible. Um, yeah, and the game was, was it didn't let anybody down with it. You know, I still watch it now, the highlight reels when it comes on regular uh, on Sky. Um, and it, it went backwards and forwards, the games. Um, quite funny story, actually. We, we, we trained at um, Derby County's training ground um, the morning of the game. Um, and we practiced penalties and if you've ever come across Ian Everett, like he, he's a re- he's a real character ever, like and got loads of stories about him, but um, he's very serious, you know, and 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 then certainly with his football, he took his football really really serious, like and there was a lot of wind up merchants at Blackpool at the time, and anyway, so we're on the bus, we've left Derby's training ground, we've practiced our penalties, we've prepared, and um, obviously they had Robert Earnshaw, so 
Ben Burgess it was actually said on the bus, he went, you know, you're going to see that silly uh, dance, uh, cartwheel and dance Earnshaw does. You know, you're going to see that. Within the first 10 minutes, he'll score Earnshaw and he'll be wheeling away. So everyone's like biting, nah, nah, no chance, no chance. I've got got him in my pocket, like, you know what I mean? Um, So he went, I'm telling you, this is what will happen. Earnshaw's going to score. Within ten minutes, and he's going to be uh, wheeling away in delight. Well, seven minutes in, didn't he? All of a sudden, ball falls to Earnshaw, puts it in the back of the net, and he uh, <laughs> does his does his somersault, and away he goes. I just looked at Evo, and he looked at me like he just started shaking his head, like disbelief. Um, and obviously, the game wore on. I think it was a it was a story of our front players, wasn't it? And our our substitutes. Dobby, uh, DJ, I think everybody played a part at the top end of the pitch, and we ran out, we ran out worthy winners in the end. I don't think uh, anybody could begrudge us a, a place at Wembley in the final after that. Well, the Forest fans um, clapped clapped in there as, as as well as um, the Cardiff fans coming into that final just to applaud the fans and and the performance. It was like his fate, really, wasn't it? Um, you know, DJ's hat trick, etc. And for me, probably the most memorable night in me supporting Blackpool, appreciate the player final is, you know, is is going to be some accolade to ever achieve. But to to go to that occasion, as you say, and play the way we did and stare in the, stare in the face of defeat, let's face it, when, like you say, when he scores after seven minutes and 30,000 Forest fans are going mental, you can only think the worst. But it just shows the resilience that Holloway gave you guys and, and the resilience you had as well. But I know Matt's got a question about the player final as well. Well, obviously, it's going to be hard not to speak about, obviously, the biggest, if not one of the biggest days in the club's history alongside the homecoming in the 53 Cup, Cup final. What was it like for you? Because I remember, I think all the fans, it's surreal, like we're one step away from the Premier League, small little Blackpool, who was obviously relegation favourites at the start of the season. Like Ian stuck to his words and we're there in the player final. What was it like for you as a player? Yeah, I mean... I think what stood us in good stead, some of us anyway, we'd, we'd been there three years prior, obviously in the Yeovil game, which we spoke about. Um, and them experiences are, are, are really imperative, aren't they? I think um, if, if you've been there and you've done something, there's always something that you can you can rely on, you can go back to. Um, it didn't really phase, phase us because myself, uh, Evo, um, trying to think, one or two others, it had been there before, you know. Um, so, yeah, but you still get that excitement. Um, obviously, the championship playoff final is a lot, lot bigger than um, the League One playoff final. Um, I remember the, um, the 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 ticket situation leading up to it. You know, everybody was desperate for tickets. Um, everybody was trying to get into Club Wembley with their families. Um, and I think you get like 10, 12 days, don't you, between the second leg of the playoffs and then the, the, the actual final kicking off. So you have to spend three or four days getting things like that in place, you know what I mean? Um, and then there was a lot of media around it, the richest game in football, etc. Um, but I just remember, you know, we went down on the Thursday, I think. Yeah, it was the game on Thursday night. The game on the Saturday, wasn't it? Yeah. So we went down on the Thursday. We had two nights down there. And we got to the hotel and we had our evening meal and, and Holloway came into the restaurant where we were eating. 
and he said, uh, I want everything to be as normal as possible. So whatever you do on a Thursday evening, <laughs> do here. So he said, if you have a glass of wine, he says, have a glass of wine tonight. If you have a beer, have a beer. Not all the lads are saying, well, I have six or seven beers gathered on a Thursday. <laughs> Fletch was saying he's having a kebab and a few points. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and in the end, he just started laughing and he was like, do one. I said, I'll let you have a glass of wine. That'll be it. Like, um, And then we went, uh, we'd already been to the ground. We knew what it was all about. And I just remember the heat, you know, when you, you come off the coach and you walk and the underpass into the changing room, the heat was just incredible. Um, and the day before, we had some warm up tops. We had black warm up tops that we were due to uh, warm up in. And somebody wisely said, I'm not sure wearing black to warm up in, and this heat is a wise thing. So there was a last minute uh, rush around to try and get some cooler uh, cotton, white colored t shirts, I think, for us to warm up in. So obviously, there was a lot of running around behind the scenes with stuff like that. Um, but I think that just the feeling was that again that we were going to do it um, and I've been on both sides of the coin I've been obviously involved with the West Ham game which I'm sure you'll touch on where we didn't do it um, there are many games where you just come up a little bit short but there's certain times and certain games where you just carry that momentum you carry that belief and you know I still watch it back now and Don Goodman hit the nail on the head without being inside the camp when he was commentating. He was saying this Blackpool team doesn't lie down and you can go a goal down Blackpool or two goals down. We just had a real belief that we could get back into the games. We had goal scorers on the pitch. We could um, create lots of opportunities. We were free-flowing and attacking. Um, And I think with that spirit and that attitude, I think it can take you a long way. so, yeah, we had to hang on in, in periods of the game. We were a goal down, weren't we, obviously? And then we had to fight our way back in and to go 3-2 up just before half-time. And I think we had to survive a lot of pressure in the second half. But just the euphoria around that, you know, when you do something special in front of incredible fans that had backed us to the hill all season and we took on this journey with teammates you'd been in the same team with for years and a lot of us were at that similar age Stephen Craney Ian Everett I keep saying um, Taylor Fletcher and we were all about that same age and you know we weren't old but we were 28, 29, 30-ish and you do wonder how many opportunities you're actually going to have to play at Wembley again. So to grasp that opportunity with both hands and actually win was just uh, was a monumental feat, really. And I think um, it was it was the Everest for us. I think you know in terms of our careers, it was it was the pinnacle of it, certainly my career anyway. So just an incredible moment for everybody involved. I think just uh, my two. Over, I've obviously watched that play on many times, and I actually forgot how good we were when you watch it back in full. I think when they had the uh, anniversary, didn't they? They put the game on live with the commentary and on on Twitter. And when you watch that game back, I, I just forgot with that heat how good we actually were and well drilled, and you know just just how much we deserved it. And again, Cardiff fans, you know, saying we deserved it after the game as well, and that you know they were a very good side at the time. It just shows you how good we were. But one question, I suppose, I've got which. I'd be annoyed if I didn't ask is when when Charlie Adam lines up the free kick 
to to override an emotions. All you could hear from the other end of the ground was the West um, West um, sorry Cardiff fans shaking their hands, going oh, and then obviously you just hear the roar from the Blackpool crowd. Two things really: how good was that free kick? Because I solely believe it's one of the best goals I'll ever see in my life. Because I didn't celebrate it, I just I just went. I was, I didn't, I was speechless. It was that good so far out on pinpoint. I know Charlie said he knew he was going to score, but just how good did you find that free kick and just how loud was that roar when that goal went in? Oh, I mean, he had that ability, Charlie, didn't he? He had a, an incredible uh, ball strike and knack, didn't he, with his left foot where he could just ping a ball left, right and centre um, and was capable of, of, of such genius things like that. Um I've seen two free kicks in my lifetime at Wembley um, and one was equally as good as the other. Paul Gascoigne's in 1990 against Arsenal, I think, in the FA Cup semi-final and then Charlie's in that game were uh, just magical moments, really. Um, what, what is it actually like as a player, though? Because as a fan, you just you can't find words, but as a player, you must lose yourself a little bit watching that go in. Yeah, because I was never capable of something like that. Uh, obviously, I had my strength. Mate, you've got Charlie the Cheltenham goal. You've got the Cheltenham goal. <laughs> <laughs> and Vaughan, he had his strengths. And, you know, we had such a, a brilliant time in midfield, the, the, the three of us. But when he, I was just a fan at that moment, you know, like all you guys, um, you're just standing back. If it hits the top of the stand, no problem. It's just one of them things. If it threatens the goalkeeper and we get a rebound, incredible. But to see, to see a player strike a ball from fully thirty yards plus maybe, and and smash it in the top corner was just a thing of beauty, really. So I was just like you lads, you know, just a fan. Um, and say, like, wow, where did that come from, you know? Um, and we just he just wheeled away, and we all chased him. Um, yeah, it's just a special moment, really. Um, from a special player, um, like I say, two players I've played with Blackpool. Charlie and Wes, you know, incredible talents. Both went on to have, you know, brilliant careers, you know, when they when they left Blackpool, but also had some special times with Blackpool, you know, and, and, and probably the short periods that they were with the club, but just privileged to be part of, of two teams that included really, really good players like them too. Yeah, so obviously um the Premier League was was we talked about it. It was amazing. It was something that I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. I mean, I thought the Championship, like I said, was was a a step too far for us. But the Premier League was incredible. Um, I, I wanted to ask you that there's some obvious ones, but did you have to pinch yourself when you go into the likes of Anfield and winning? Because I we all did, and it was incredible. But in some ways, I'm not surprised because that team was so good, particularly in the first half of the season. But what was it like to go to to Newcastle? you know, for you and, and, and to Liverpool and places like that and win must have been unbelievable. Yeah, special. Yeah, I mean, I had the low of getting injured the week before the season and a friendly against Bristol City. So I missed the first month of the season. Um, Newcastle away, uh, really mixed mixed feelings on that day. Um, the, the week leading up to it, our youth team coach, Gary Parkinson, um, took ill. Um, and at the time we didn't know how bad he was going to be or was, um, and he had a had a stroke in the back of his back of his head and ended up with locked in syndrome, which was really really tough time, especially for a lot of the lads that knew Parky, you know, for for a long period of time at the club. 
obviously we were on the crest of a wave being in the Premier League and that I got fit that week. I trained with Parky in the youth team, so it hit me even harder when he actually took um, he took ill leading up to the game. Me going back to Newcastle, obviously where I was born, all my family were at the game, and I was on the bench. It was the first time I pulled on the the kit since the the the, the playoff uh, the playoff final um, in a, in a competitive game. Um, and then to come off the bench, I think 15, 20 minutes to go, uh, we were leading 1 0. And then I think DJ ran away and scored the, the, the goal that made it 2 0. It was just incredible, you know, with so many so many fans at the stadium, um, so many uh, friends and family at the game. Um, yeah, it was, it was a, special, a special memory that I'll never forget. Um, and at the time, we were playing really, really well. Um, and we were probably justified in our performances. We were winning games not comfortably, but um, we, we were playing well with an attacking brand of football. We were scoring goals, and I, th- I kind of think we were the nation's second team at that time, if you like. Um, we're getting a lot of plaudits. So, yeah, that game in particular really really resonates you know, with me for, for, for a number of reasons. Yeah, you, I think you came back... After against Everton as well, didn't you? The next game wasn't it when I know you came. I don't know if you started yeah. against Everton, but like that was forgot now. Um, but yeah, that was obviously must have been a good moment for you. Obviously, coming back against Everton, like coming back fit just for that game as well, and must have been quite a again like a one of those things at which you just you you wonder how these things happen when you play your boyhood club as well. Yeah, uh, that was my first start. Everton, Newcastle was the first appearance, I think. Um, but yeah, the first start. That was a, it. Was a lovely day. Seamus came back and actually scored against us, didn't he? Two-two. Um, Neil Early scored a wonderful free kick. Um, so yeah, really, really enjoyable times. You know, in terms of like your, your question around pinching yourself, y- you do, I think, but. When you're in the moment and the games come quick and fast, um, you don't or you can't have much time to think too too long and hard about who you're going to be playing against or what the implications of this game is or that game. You just seem to roll with it. Um, and I think that was the good thing about that group of lads at the time. We didn't really... Um, we had no fear. Um, we just approached every game as we ha- had always on the Holloway, it was with a real uh, attacking mentality. You could probably say, looking back, there was probably a neglect around the defensive side of the game. And did we did we do enough, or did we do anything in that that department? Um, Game stick out for I me. Would, I wouldn't change Sorry. it for the world. I wouldn't change it for the world. Do you know what I mean? No, I, was, I think we went three to up against Everton, and I think and I think he takes off. It, I forgot who he takes off. I know he takes off a defender and puts on like an attacking midfielder at three two. We Saha just scores a hat trick in about ten minutes, and we're just like <laughs> lost five three. But that was it personified sort of who Ollie was and what he wanted to do with that team. So, um, obviously, great great times. And moving on to sort of the following season, if you don't mind me talking about it, obviously 2011, 2012, you had a you had a scare which. Um, which you kept yourself fit through. Um, just tell us about, if you don't mind, that difficult time in your life and how you managed to, again, I talked about resilience earlier, but how you as a, 
as a as a man and a, and a human being kept yourself so positive through that through that experience and obviously how you kept yourself fit and obviously returned to the team as well yeah um obviously we had the disappointment of getting relegated uh 39 points um but again you can't dwell too long i think on 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 things in football because very quickly you're in a new season the next game starts fresh fresh op- optimism begins again so I remember starting the season really well we we'd had um we lost charlie we lost david vaughan i think yeah and we brought in kev phillips we brought in barry ferguson so the club was still trying i think to get back to the heights we'd, we'd been to a year or two earlier uh, me personally I, I started the season in the team I, I started pretty well um well really well in fact um and approaching november i remember um i remember picking me little lad up who was two at the time and kind of like um you know you pick you 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 pick a child up, don't you? And under the arms, really, and the legs dangle. And um, I got he, he kicked me in the groin area, and I, and I felt, oh, that, that's tender, that's sore, even more so than you'd probably imagine. Anyway, um, yeah. so yeah, you have a prod around, um, you have a feel, um, and and it just felt a kind of a mass, um, a, a really solid mass in, in, in my left testicle. Um, I don't know about you lads but a lot of the men and lads I know we, we kind of keep things to ourselves don't we I think it's in, it, it's wrong really and it, it, it's a fault of mine and it's fault of men in general I think we, we, we tend to bury our heads in the sand a little bit and thinking it'll be alright it'll go away or whatever um, and, and that's certainly how I, I felt at that moment in time I ended up telling my wife and she was you need to go to see Phil, you need to go and get an appointment, you need to go and see the doctor. Phil was the physio. And I said, yes, yes, I will, I will. And days were going by, maybe a week or two, and she'd say to me, have you seen the doctor? Have you seen Have you seen Phil? No, no, I haven't. Um, so she said to me, if you don't see the doctor, I'm going to ring Phil myself. You need to have an appointment. I'm not happy. So anyway, we played Middlesbrough away. Um, don't know if you were at the game or you can remember it. We, we, we played and the game was 2-2 um, and we went up the night before and I remember being on the bus on the way up, long journey to the northeast, and I was constantly paranoid about myself and my body and what I'd felt for the previous couple of weeks. So I, I had my hands down my trousers constantly. It sounds terrible and pretty disgusting, but, you know, when you, it's like a spot that you can't stop scratching or itching or picking at. That, that's what it felt like. So yeah. I was constantly pushing, prodding, feeling this area um, to the point of, like, anybody had been on the bus or anybody, you know, I remember Gary Taylor Fashion, he must have been up with him, like, you know. Um, but, you know, that, that that's the way I just had this. I was obsessed with it. So played the game. I was fine in the game. Um, felt fit. Played at a good level. Competing every week. I'm not sure where we were in the table, but... I can't remember us losing too many games up until that point. We seemed to be, um, you know, in a fairly decent, decent position in the league. Uh, and I was playing regular. So on the way home on the bus, I, I, I said to Phil, I need to see the doctor on Monday. Nothing to worry about. I convinced myself. Um, he said, yeah, no problem. Went home that evening, relaxed on the Sunday. I went in on the Monday with um, Danny Cott. 
Danny Coy, no, didn't he left? I went in with Taylor Fletcher. Yeah, me and Taylor Fletcher drove in. And I actually forgot I was going to see the doctor. You know, he just like come in Monday morning, general session on a Monday. It's pretty light if you've played. And Phil said to me, I was just about to leave for the lunchtime. He went, I've got you that appointment for Dr. Chellicle. And I went, oh, right, okay, yeah. So I ended up going to the appointment. Um, he examined me. Uh, he said, I don't think it's anything to worry about. I think you've got something what's called torsion of the testicle. It can be dangerous, but in terms of anything really, really serious, I think you're okay, but I want you to go and get an ultrasound scan this afternoon in Lytham. So this was the Monday. So I ended up dropping Taylor Fletcher back home and driving back to Lytham for about a five o'clock appointment. It was in November. It was raining. It was dark. Ended up going to see a really, really good guy called Roger Berry. Works in, I don't know if he's still working there now, but amazing guy. Uh, lovely, lovely person. Blackpool fan. Um, and chatting about the game. You've started well. Disappointment of the getting relegated. Uh, blah, blah, blah. And he's examining me. So he examines me right side. Chatting away about the weather. Football, blah, 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 not an issue. He moves to my left side and he stops chatting. This conversation just ends. And I'm thinking, mm, that's strange. He puts the probe down and walks out the room. My wife rings me at that moment in time, believe it or not, and said, how are you? What's happening? I said, don't know. I said, the radiologist has walked out the room. <laughs> she said, we'll get him back, see what he says. And I went, I will. He was out the room for about 10 minutes. He, he comes back in. And he said, I've got bad news for you. You've, you've got testicular cancer. And he said it needs to, the tumour needs to be removed as soon as possible. So, I mean, you can imagine the shock, uh, the horror, the fear um, of that was, was oh, unbelievable. Um, so, yeah, I had a three and a half centimetre tumour that needed to be removed as soon as possible. So I was booked in, I think, for the following Wednesday, maybe, at the, the Vic. Uh, went in, had the surgery, removed the testicle. But the worry just continues because <clears throat> until they remove the testicle, they don't know if it's actually spread. So they do numerous tests um, and you have to wait two weeks. The potential that could spread to the lymph nodes, etc. So you have the surgery and you just, you're just waiting by the phone. You just, you're a recluse pretty much, you know, at home. You're still sore and tender in certain areas, which you can imagine. And you're just waiting for that phone call to see, you know, where you stand really in terms of um, your health and your future, really. Um, but I, I'm a pretty private person then. Well, I still am now, but um, I didn't tell anybody, you know, leading up to the surgery. I didn't tell, you know, I was really close with Gary, who I travelled in with, Stephen Craney, Evo, a lot of the lads. Charlie, David Vaughan, all the lads who had connections with Blackpool. I didn't tell anybody. The only one that knew was the physio. And um, he said to me, Keith, it's been a week now, 10 days. I, I can't tell anybody else that you've got the flu. You haven't got the flu. We're going to have to make a statement or something and kind of let people know because they're actually worried about you, you know. So I ended up telling people... Um, which, you know, I had really good support from everybody, uh, the manager, the chairman, everybody at the club was great, the fans, you know, I had numerous, had hundreds of letters 
wishing me well. Um, and then I got the phone call that it hadn't spread, and you go and see an oncologist um, who kind of puts you in the picture and you know lays down certain stats and figures and what you need to do. And so I, I didn't need chemotherapy, which which was good. I was offered it, but the oncologist said if it was my son, I wouldn't do it. You're fit and healthy. You've got an 87% of it not returning. There's a 13% chance that I can. Um, but I'd take your chances, really. Uh, you just had numerous health checkups, blood tests, scans for the for the forthcoming years. Um, and, yeah, and that, and that was it, basically. And then I had some time out. I had a holiday with my family because I wasn't in a really good place mentally at the time. Um a brilliant support from my wife. She's wonderful. Uh, parents, brother, uh, the club were excellent. I must admit, everybody, Matt Williams, everybody connected, re- really, really helped me. Um, the manager, I must say, was was incredible because he'd been through certain situations with his wife. I think in the past, he won't mind me sharing. I think she'd had some issues with cancer. <laughs> so he was again. It goes back to that point. He was just a brilliant human being. And he um he let me heal mentally and physically and had a holiday early 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 January and then I came back into football came back into training trained really hard got myself fit and ended up starting in the FA Cup game against Sheffield Wednesday and so unlucky I, David Prutton studded me in the shin and I ended up blood ended up spurting through my sock and I ended up missing six weeks of that it was just one of them periods in me in my career and my life that was stop star really. Um, yeah. So sorry to waffle, but yeah, that was that was pretty much the situation. No, it's it's it's, in, it's important to talk about, isn't it? If, you, if I'm glad you didn't mind, but it kind of just poses the question, I suppose, that you know, it, us as men and and anybody really that that want that that uh, maybe I don't know if it's the right word, ashamed of it or scared of what they're going to say, but it's it's a, it's a stigma, isn't it? And I obviously can't speak from experience like you can, but. It's always important to open up to the to people that you love because they're ultimately going to be a positive experience in your life. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think you learn as you go on, don't you? Um, even though I was a fully grown man at thirty-one, yes, you know nothing can actually prepare you for some news like that. But I think you just convince yourself that it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. I know I did anyway, and it's like I say, it's wrong, and people shouldn't um, shouldn't carry carry feelings like that you must open up especially this day and age with mental health etc you must talk to people it's it, it, it's the best thing you can do um so yeah i mean in terms of now you know anyone that is, is actually interested in the story i'll tell i won't i won't press it on anybody but you know i tell people because i think it's important that there's a story out there within that that you must um you must speak up, you know, whatever you're going through and there is help out there in any field, you know, whether it's a mental problem, a physical problem, there is help and people willing to, to solve certain issues that you're going through. So, I, I, and, and by doing so, I caught it early. I had a three and a half centimetre tumour, but I caught it early um, and it was a non-aggressive form, which they tell me was the best form to have if I'm going to have it. So, yeah, fortunately I was fine and, yeah, moved on. Moved on from that and, you know, tried to get back into the team. But obviously I had that issue with my leg, which didn't heal when I had them stitches. 
and from the Chef Wed game, which you know kind of stalled me season. Um, and then I ended up getting sent off later on in the season against Barnsley, and came back into the team for the final league game of the season against Millwall, and then justifiably so, understandably so, was left out for the playoff games. I was sub, um, and then never appeared in the final, which we lost against West Ham, which we deserved to win. So, yeah, a disappointing end of the season, really, but I came through some, obviously, trauma, which, you know, made me a better person along the way, I'm sure, as well. Yeah, well, undoubtedly, and just as I touched upon the uh, final, my God, did we need Fletch and you? I think the moment we knew Fletch was out, that was uh, we we had those bad feelings, but we still dominated the game. But yeah, it was a crying shame that he wasn't involved, and I, I I think we would have won quite comfortably if he was playing in yourself as well. But we move on, don't we? And as you did to to what Matt wants to ask you next. So obviously, that season, which was a bit of a roller coaster for yourself, um, it, it was your last season at Blackpool, and obviously you. Uh, went on to move to Huddersfield. How did that move go on about? Did you feel like it was the right move? Obviously, 10 years at Blackpool, do you think that was the time to leave, start a new challenge, start a new? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'd had a sniff from Huddersfield. Simon Grayson was the manager. Uh, we just returned to pre-season training. My agent called me. I mean, I didn't use an agent a lot through my career, but towards the back end, I had, a, I had a lad who I, who I, who I trusted. He, he he called me one day and said, Huddersfield want to take you. Um, are you interested? And I, I was 31 and, and I said, yeah. I said, I am, yeah. I said, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to talk to them. So nothing kind of happened. We went to Portugal with Blackpool pre-season um, and I trained. Nobody came up to me from officially from the club, but I knew things through through the agent that things were um you know bubbling away. Um and then Carl Oyston um left me a voicemail. I came back to my room after a training session and left me a voicemail to to call him. So I, I called him and basically without you know, I mean it would be I would be lying if I said I didn't want to go. Now I didn't want to leave Blackpool. I just think my time was up at Blackpool. I'd done 10 years and I'd had some incredible experiences. The highs and lows of playoff finals. I'd been through what I'd been through, you know, my personal life that season. I just felt the change of scenery was better, best for everybody, really. Um, for the club, for me, I just thought a fresh start. And I knew I wasn't getting any younger. I was 31. I just wanted an experience from a football point of view, of playing for somebody else, really. Uh, and it's not nothing to do with Blackpool. It's, you know, it's, it's my favourite club in the world. I loved every minute of it. Um, the fans were amazing. I can't speak highly enough of it. But just at that moment in time, off the back of what I'd been through that year, I just felt the change would be, would be good for me. And it was backed up by the fact that Carl Oyson said to me in that phone call when, when I called him in Portugal, he said uh, he was really honest, and I'm not sure fans will want to hear this, but he actually said to me, I want to take the, the club's financial state back to pre-Premier League days in terms of fees for players, contracts for players. And uh, if I was you, I would accept this because I can't offer you a contract what you're currently on in the future. So I said to him, thanks for your honesty. Um 
I wanted to go anywhere, but that's kind of sealed the deal. Um, and he said he would still honour the testimonial that he promised me, um, which, which which was great from my point of view. Now, unbeknown to me, it caused the not unbeknown to me, unbeknown to the club, what he said to me caused a problem within within the squad because some of them lads I'd played with, I played with Evo for seven years, I played with Stephen Craney for years. Gary Taylor Fletcher was my best mate at the club. I was travelling in with him. Um, every day I room with him. I'm friends with him now. My wife and his wife are best friends. So I kind of relayed the news back to my friends about what Oyston said to me, taking the money and the, the club back to pre-Premier League days, which can you can imagine it shocked the lads because yeah. all them lads weren't going anywhere at that point. Holloway, Holloway was disappointed in me for telling the lads that, and I had a not an argument with Ollie, but I said, "Forget football; these are my friends. You know what I mean? These are these are my mates. My relationship with these lads goes way beyond what I had with you, as in the manager. Um, and I'm not trying to be disruptive. I was telling my friends which way the club was going, so he felt it put the club in a position." Uh, or what he couldn't really manage being the manager, if that makes sense. Um, so I said, whatever. I said, I've been truthful. Everything I've done in my career and my life, I ain't going to hate things now from people I actually care about and played with for years just to uh, protect your ego, if you like. Um, and he understood that to a point when I explained to him, but he felt it did leave him in a precarious position because others would want to leave, they'd want answers, etc. Um, so yeah, I ended up leaving, <clears throat> touched down in England a couple of days later, and that was me done. I was off, came back for me testimonial, which was awkward but brilliant in the same moment. Uh, felt surreal going back as not a Blackpool player. Really enjoyed the day and the turnout I had from nine and a half thousand fans was incredible, and I can't thank the people of Blackpool enough. Um, but in that moment when you're playing the game, as mad as it sounds, you just want the game over with. You want to move forward with something. I remember Marouane Fellaini stood on my foot and I thought, oh my God, he's going <laughs> to, I'm going to go back to Huddersfield injured, you know, <laughs> from a stamp on my foot, he's going to break my foot. And um, so you just want the moment over really, which is poor at the time. Looking back now, I wish I'd have saved, saved it more. Um, but when you're in the moment, you know, your feelings are your feelings really. Um, and yeah, I had two good years at Huddersfield. Again, first season was great, interrupted by injury towards the end of it. And then didn't play as much in the second year under Mark Robbins as, as I would have liked, but had some good memories, you know, from certain games there as well. Played about 50 games. Wasn't a lot in terms of the two seasons, but, you know, still got some friendships. I think scored like five or six goals, didn't you? So you had a quite a good ratio considering. Yeah, yeah, came back to Bloomfield Road and we, we, we won on a, uh, on, under the lights in a Sky game. Uh, remember beating Leeds, scoring against Palace under the lights and Sky in a, in a Monday night game. Um, you know, some, um, some, some good moments and some good memories. But yeah, I was probably at that stage in my career during the second part of the year, the contract that I had that, I wasn't recovering as quickly as I had previously from injuries, and I don't know if that if that was to do with um, the trauma I had with testicular cancer or what. I don't know how the body reacted to different injuries post being diagnosed with that as opposed to pre. Um, 
so yeah, um, and then ended up um, un- ended up at Fleetwood, which was a, a pretty awful experience. <laughs> Keith, um, obviously, like you say, you were, you were towards the end of your career and um, maybe looking to take the next step and, and looking at, at coaching and management and things like that. And Blackpool had a lot of managers after you left. It was like a revolving door. People stayed for a, a few months and, and it all went pear-shaped and things like that. And in 2016... I think, if I remember this rightly, um, we had Neil McDonald, um, who who was the latest one to leave um, after getting relegated from League One to League Two. Um, was that a point when you were interested in the job? And did you? How far did that inquiry or that interest go? Could could you, were you close to becoming our manager at any point? Yeah, I had an interview. Um, trying to think of the hotel where I had the interview uh, with Carl. It was in the hotel at the bottom of the 55. Was Tickle it the Tickle Trout? Tickle or the Marriott? Marriott it was, oh, wasn't yeah. it? Tickle Trout, yeah. 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 I had, had an interview with Carl um, and the chief executive at the time. I can't remember his name. Yeah. Um, looking back now from where I am from a coaching perspective, um, I wasn't ready. I wasn't. I wasn't ready for the interview. I wasn't certainly wasn't ready for the job uh, back then, because um, obviously, like anything, you gather experiences and um, an understanding of, of various roles. I'd just come out with playing more or less. Um, obviously, who's to say I couldn't have done the job back then? But I wasn't as prepared as I am now. Obviously, from a coaching point of view and a management point of view. Um, but yeah, I had an interview. I think. In terms of like numbers, I was probably down to the last two or three, um, and yeah, didn't get it. Which was I disappointed? Yes, I was a little bit at the time because um, you have an ego and you think you can do it and you think you can do everything. But looking back, you know, I'm I'm honest enough and truthful enough for myself to say it was the right decision. I think because it wouldn't have been fair on me because I wasn't ready uh, at that stage of my coaching coaching career really is there a, a part of you maybe that looks back and maybe thinks that might have been for the best simply because the atmosphere at Blackpool then was very toxic and we were in you know the boycott <laughs> kind of kicked in and 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 we had we actually had a good team that year under Gary Bowie the year that you missed out on that job but not many people saw it and and we got to a playoff final and won it and nobody saw it and the following season we played Arsenal or whatever and no one saw it but you may well have been playing or managing in a fairly empty stadium at some point I mean, it was pretty toxic at the time, wasn't it? With hindsight, yeah, it was me, I think. And, you know, I, I would have hit or soured my hands with a really poor, a poor sea lead and steady a, a team through a, a difficult turn time at the club. And ultimately, the last thing I, I wouldn't want to do would be to fail. At Blackpool, um, and lose that relationship and that friendship and their memories with the Blackpool fans I carried for so long. Um, so yeah, everything happens for a reason, doesn't it? And we just watched a lot of that following season with Gary Boyer. I was doing it a lot for Radio Lancashire. So I've seen some good players, a good team. Um, yeah, and he d- he did fairly well with them, didn't he? So yeah, no complaints from my from my side, certainly. Yeah, he's a good man, a good manager, Bowie. So yeah, all right, we're going to move on to the final part. We had 
loads of questions in, so we'll do a bit of a speed round with you, if you don't mind. But got some um, fans that wanted to tell you how they feel and ask you a few questions. So I'll rattle through as many of these as quickly as I can in the next 10 minutes. But Jordan Hayes asked, did any club come in for you during your time at Blackpool before you left? And did you ever come close to moving on during the more, the more um, successful years with the club? Yeah, uh, had had numerous offers. Um, I nearly went to Leeds January, a January window. Holloway tried to swap me for Bradley Johnson. Simon Grayson wanted to take me at Leeds. He was the manager, um, and I thought it was done at one point, um, but fell through, uh, which often these things do for numerous reasons. Um, and I had um, I had other little bits of interest: Derby County, Crystal Palace. Uh, you know how close they were ever to to coming on, um, but you know, I I I love Blackpool, um, and and I never really thought too hard or long of signing a new contract whenever it was put under my nose. I was never, uh, even to this day, um, I played because I loved the game. Believer, if you're happy in a workplace and you enjoy what you're doing, it's the wrong thing to go and chase money elsewhere. So, whenever a contract um, was put under my un, un, under my nose, I generally signed it. Um, I didn't worry about what other people were earning too much. It was all about me and being the best version of me. That's that, that's how I approach my career. So, yeah, there was interest. I'm not sure how how close too much of it was to coming off um but like i say i didn't i didn't really harbor any ambition really to move too many times from blackpool because like i say i love the place and I, I love what we were doing so yeah i hope that answers that i'm sure it does um i'll also put on the form is there anything else you wanted to tell him and jordan a says he loves you so that was uh, one response. Um, we've talked about the playoff final, um, but Harry Scobby said he was your first footballing icon from the age of three years old. Um, take that what you will, but um, a clearly admirer from a young age. So um, Dave uh, on, on Twitter asked, um, did Joey Barton ever speak to you after you planted him into the advertising boards? <laughs> that part? I, I remember it, yeah. Um no, he didn't. Uh, he didn't. He didn't say anything to him. Ke- Kevin Nolan had a few. Kevin Nolan had a few choice words for me uh, after I did it. Fair but enough. in terms of Joe, you know, he never said anything to me. Fair enough. Uh, Dave also said thank you for some brilliant memories at Blackpool as well. Um, yeah, nice one from Jason. Did you, the Premier League squad, still keep in touch with each other? Yeah, we have a WhatsApp group. Um, quite sporadic. How often the lads. Yeah, but um, yeah, certainly every couple of weeks it'll go into overdrive, and certain people will put certain things on, and then all of a sudden everybody will get chatting again, and then you can go a couple of weeks with nothing. But yeah, always on it. All the lads from Seamus Coleman's on it. Um, yeah, we do keep nice. in touch personally. Me, I, I keep in touch with a handful of the lads. Uh, Brett, one of my best mates, on this this podcast but uh, yeah brilliant guy um keep in touch with him gary taylor Stephen craney ian everett paul chubka danny coy john murphy from from yesteryear if you like uh other eras but yeah 
love Big John. He's my favourite player growing up. Um, Jace also said thanks for um, giving him the greatest days of his life. Um, so, yeah, massive impact on, on the Blackpool fans, clearly. Um, Jan has asked, well, who was your favourite central midfielder partner or partners in your time at Blackpool? Um, hmm. I'd have to say Charlie and Vaughney. Little David, obviously, success were hard, complimented each other so well. You know, they made me look a good player because they were far more gifted than me. But I think in terms of um, skill set, we had different skill sets. So we worked really well together. Yeah. So they were my two favourite midfield partners. But I also have a soft spot for Klaus. I enjoyed playing with him, Klaus Jorgensen, obviously in that 2007 promotion winning team. So, yeah, three yeah. lads there that probably the pick of them. Lovely. Jan said, your desire, passion and work rate was always the best and have set a high ceiling for Blackpool fans to expect um, from what to expect from players to this day. You're my all-time favourite player and I want to personally say thank you for what you did for the club. To me, you were the constant in the team and you doing your role, let Charlie and Wes and Vaughan be the players that they were as well. So, massive compliment to you and, and very truthful as well. Thank um, you. James has asked, um, I'll go through a few more of these, I mean, let you go, but James has asked, reaching the Premier League is a huge achievement, but what was your biggest regret from your playing career, if you had any? No, no regrets, no. Um, achieved a way above and beyond what I kind of anticipated I would. Uh, obviously, dreamt I could play in the Premier League as a little boy. Um you know, when you go on loan and you, you you drop down to a certain level or you're playing at a certain level, you sometimes feel that it may or may not come off. You have doubts. But uh, I think to achieve that um, was the pinnacle of my career and always something that I wanted to do. Um, yeah, I think I maximised everything that I could from my career. Uh, I worked as hard as I could. I was as passionate about the game as I could. I looked after my body. Um, I give it 100%. And I think in, in anybody's walk of life, I think that's all you can do. If you can look yourself in the mirror after the event and say, well, I did everything I could, whatever I do, whatever job I do, and have no regrets. I think I think that's all you, 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 can, you can do. So, yeah, I can certainly do that. Um, and had some great memories along the way. Um made some great friendships along the way as well. So, yeah, absolutely no regrets and probably did more than I anticipated. Yeah, absolutely. Um, two questions. Um, who was the best player you ever played against? Um, oh, what a great question that is. Lucky enough to play against um, many, many top midfield players. Um, I must say Steve and Gerard. I played against them in the youth team when I was at Everton and obviously had had a couple of cameo appearances in both the games when we were in the Premier League. Um, although we won both games and he didn't play as well as, as we know he's capable of, the, the memory I had when I played against him uh, when we were 17, 18 was just in awe. He, he was awesome. Um, and obviously the career he had goes on to tell us that he, he was exactly that. Um I also played against Joe Cole when I was in the youth team at Everton. Joe Cole in the youth team at West Ham was just a prodigious talent, just uh, exceptional. Um, so I'd say them too. But like you can't rule out. I remember playing against Lampard at Bloomfield Road and he scored two. Just, again, another top player. So there's so many, but if I was to pick two, I'd say 
Gerard and Joe Cole, really. Um, and I, I wanted to ask this because it made me laugh. Um, it's Jordan again. He said, how, mu- how much do you think yourself, David Fawn and Charlie Adam, influenced Xavi and Esther Busquets? And it is no fluke they dominated Europe um, after they had two seasons watching you three in the Championship and the Premiership. <laughs> I think that might have just been coincidental, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> Holloway actually used to say that. He used to like... Uh, Used to like enough, like enough sarcastically to those three. Um, but yeah, I think you just you hit relationships off with players. Um, there's a connection straight away. I think you see it now. Players can play together for years, and they don't quite have that um, that them partnerships. But we certainly did, and um, yeah, the privilege was all mine, really. I mean, Charlie used to drive me and Vaughny mad because. He'd just do his own thing. He'd try to chip goalkeepers from halfway lines every other game. Uh, <laughs> and it didn't used to work until he went to Stoke. So that used to drive us wild. Um, he never used to run back and defend, which again used to drove us mad. But wow, he had some incredible talent, didn't he? And I think 20-odd goals in that championship season when we got promoted suggest that he didn't need to run back. And he's obviously strengths were around the opposition, Pendley box and goals. So... And then Vaughan, he was just a magical little footballer. Didn't say a word to anybody. Quietest, unassuming player and man you'd ever you'd ever imagine. But wow, could he play and keep keep possession and had a lovely left foot and he could do everything. So I think we just complimented each other really well, which was which was so special at that time. No, absolutely. Um, I'm going to let you go because you've only got five minutes before you need to leave to pick up your son. But I just want to take the take the time just to say thank you for sharing your memories with us and uh, and giving us obviously the time t- this evening. It's been an absolute pleasure to, to interview you and 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 to hear your thoughts. Oh, my pleasure. I really enjoyed it, lads. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. No worries, Martin. Martin, Matt, you want to say goodbye quickly? Yeah, Keith, um, again, I just want to echo what people have said. Um, I've supported Blackpool about 30 years and you are one of my favourite players. You gave me so many happy memories, uh, you know, getting those two promotions. And and I just wanted to thank you for your service to Blackpool. An absolute legend. Absolute pleasure to spend an hour and a half in your your company, even though it's virtually. Just absolutely brilliant, mate. Thank you so much for everything you did for us. No problem. I appreciate the support. And I'm sorry I had to go into the kitchen before me back. He was going to (laughs) go... No, you're fine, mate. And then no Matt. No, yeah, just to say what Martin and Tom said there. Obviously, one of my childhood heroes had your name on the back of the shirt growing up. And it's great to obviously speak to you yet again. And thank you, Greenford, to come on and speak to us for an hour and a half and talk about some great memories. Cheers, lads. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Cheers, Keith. Cheers, Keith. Cheers, thank you. Problem. Take care. Bye. Bye. And from us at the It's an Orange podcast, that concludes today's uh, special edition episode with Keith Southern. We'll give our thoughts ahead of the Wiccan game on our Twitter page. Um, But for now, from all of us at the It's an Orange podcast, good evening. (laughs) 